Good morning. How are you? Fine. Isn't that amazing? The thing we do. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Isn't that amazing? We're always surprised if somebody actually answers the question, right? Hi, how are you? Oh, terrible. I just came from the doctor. We don't want that, right? Hi, how are you? Well, I'm great. I'm washed in the blood, born again, blessed by God, brother. How are you? Sorry, I asked. <laughs> Hi, how are you? It's that superficial, superficial greeting. It's okay. It's nothing innately wrong with it. It's just pretty predictable, right? It's a cultural convention. Let's pray. Lord, we invite the present power of your Holy Spirit to come and to take us below the surface. We want to dive, Lord. We want to dive. We want to go to the deep place where your deep calls to our deep. And so we invite you, Lord, to come and work in each of our hearts. We're, we're, all, we're each so unique, Lord. We're crafted in, a, in unique ways, and you know what words will work for us today. You know specifically what words will engage us in the place of inviting Holy Spirit to come and live in our hearts. And so I pray, Lord, that you would take the words of my mouth and before they get to each set of ears, you would translate them into your words to their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so for the past couple of months, Pastor Rob and I, as many of you know, have been working through a series of teachings called Soul Care, our our motivation is that as your pastors, we really want to equip you to take care of your soul, because that's the most important part of you. And we've been uh, focusing on a group of practices to do this called spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And um, what we've meant to teach you are classical spiritual disciplines that have been practiced by Christians for centuries and centuries, each one its own way of responding to the call of God to, to, to experience him, to come to him. And we have been teaching these uh, and asking you to, to build on a foundation that you already have. You already pray. You already read your Bible. You obviously already worship God. And so on this foundation, we're... We're recommending to you these practices, these disciplines, to integrate them into your lives so that your, your soul can prosper, so your soul can live, so that spirit man inside of you can breathe and grow and, and live in God. We've talked about such spiritual disciplines as simplicity and, and stillness, you know, just getting alone and quiet with God. We've talked about submission, submitting ourselves to, the, to God, of course, 
but also submitting ourselves to the, the, the kinds of people and circumstances that God calls each of us to submit ourselves to as part of his plan to take care of our souls. We've talked about sacrifice uh, as a character quality of our lives as Christians. We've talked about service. We've talked about, we've talked about these things as a way of saying, if you do these things, you'll live. You'll prosper. If you do these things, your soul will live. There are a number of them we haven't mentioned yet. There are really a number of them we're never going to get to in this series. I'm uh, not for sure what Rob's going to do in his remaining two messages. I think he told me, but I forgot. And... uh, but, uh, you know, there are others. There's, there's uh, uh, celebration. There's fasting. There's confession. Uh, there's study. There's meditation. These kind of, these are the things that qualify as, as this group of practices that we call spiritual disciplines. Uh, since, since we can only do so much in such a short time, I want to recommend two books to you. And the first book is one you, you've heard me reference before called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. This is, this is the book. I was actually uh, in my first year in seminary when this book came out in 1978. And a, a friend, uh, I, someone I'd met in seminary, a woman who was going through uh, the course at the same time, we got to know each other a little bit, and she said, Tom, you're going to love this. This is, this is your wiring right here. And so from that day on, I was hooked on the development of the spiritual disciplines. And this book in particular really talks about a number of the disciplines and, and how to do them, the practical aspects of how to do them. Another book I would strongly recommend is a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, and that's by... Uh, uh, the late Dallas Willard, and uh, this book deals a little bit less with the doing of the disciplines and a lot more with the why we would do them, what happens when we do them, and it is his conviction that when we practice these things, our character is transformed into the character of Christ, that this is the mechanism of sanctification, this is the mechanism that when we do these things, something happens in a deep place in our hard drive where we're transformed. And so instead of sort of like consciously doing the, well, what would Jesus do? We, it's, it's deeper, and, and, and something happens on the inside where we kind of look back and go, well, I think that's what Jesus would have done. And some of you are having that experience. But both of these books I strongly recommend. So all these spiritual disciplines, here we are saying, you know, in addition to your praying and your reading your Bible and your worshiping, here, here are some things you should try to, to prosper your soul. And some of you are pushing back maybe and saying, when am I going to do this, right? When, it's a good day when I can do the three things you just said, right? It's a good day when I can do the foundational stuff. When is it exactly, Tom, that you expect me to retreat to the woods and get still before God? I got kids. We got soccer. We got, I got a job. And I understand. But that's exactly the point. That's why we need to practice them. 
Because when you practice them, a very interesting thing happens. You begin to see what's really important. You begin to reorder your world around Jesus in a very, very gratifying way. These, these disciplines are actually the most productive when we integrate them into our busy lives. I'm not asking you to join a monastery. You might prosper by visiting one for a few days, but I'm not asking you to give up your life. I'm calling you to integrate these practices into the life that you're already living and see what happens below the surface. Richard Foster said in his book that the primary requirement for doing these things is a longing for God. If you long for God, if you say, I just want God in my life, these are the practices for you. He quotes Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, where the psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Can you just imagine this deer living in this arid place, its tongue hanging out, panting for water? He says, like, just like that. Because people would have seen that. They would have seen the deer, and they would have went, Oh, man, that deer's in trouble. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so, so what? My soul pants for you, oh God. I just got, got to get closer. Verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? That's the question. When can I, when do we get to, when do we get to meet God? Well, the answer that Rob and I are recommending to you this summer is anytime you want. And we're giving you the doorways to meet with God. Last week, I endeavored to begin a conversation about the why of the disciplines. I'm, in my remaining messages, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to recommend any more. Uh, I think Rob is going to do a couple, but I think you'll have plenty to work with in your toolkit. But last week, I wanted to talk about the why. Why is it that the spiritual disciplines prosper our soul? And my first answer last week talked about was because when we practice them, we make room for God. I mean, the world just crowds out God. We can fill our lives by decision or by lack of decision with all kinds of stuff, and then we go, what happened to God? Some of you will remember when you first came to the Lord and you were so passionate to know him and follow him, and then now maybe you sit there going, what happened to that guy? And these disciplines make room for God. The second one that I want to start talking about today is because the consistent practice of the spiritual disciplines actually creates doorways to true and lasting freedom. Freedom. It's not just making room for God. It's making a way for you to get out of the things that are holding you back. Is freedom. Jesus came to set us free. You get this? Jesus Christ came to set us free. Jesus Christ didn't come to tie you to a new world religion. Jesus Christ came to set you free from all of them. Jesus Christ came to set you free. 
And the practice of the disciplines are the means by which he sets us free. To say that discipline creates freedom on some level might seem kind of counterintuitive. It's like, okay, so you're saying if I do these hard things, I'm free. If you're, if you're saying, you're, doesn't that seem a little counterintuitive? So you're saying that in a world of complexity, if I, if I work hard to develop simplicity, I'm free. And it seems, it seems backwards, doesn't it? You're saying, if I work hard to sit still before God, because that's hard, isn't it? Any sleepers? You know, it's hard. If I work hard to do that, I'll be free. And you're like, that's, that's backwards. I don't know. You're, you're putting more stuff on me. You're binding me up. That seems counterintuitive. But I want you to think about what the practice of a discipline does. It sets you free. It sets you free. On Thanksgiving Day 2008, I made an announcement to my whole gathered family, kids and grandkids, that even Karen herself wasn't aware of. And I said, next year I'm going to run the Columbus Marathon. I didn't know anything about running a marathon. I'd run a few miles, just sort of the casual exercise thing. I didn't know anything about it. But I figured it out this way. If you're going to get to 26.2 miles, you got to start running, right? And my son Brian and I, we committed on that day. Because I asked the whole family, anybody want to do it with me? <laughs> my grown kids are going, no, 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 no. Brian says, I was kind of thinking about that. Okay, let's do it. My grandson, Jeremy, who just walked off to the middle school class, was four at the time. He said, I'll do it with you, Grandpa. <laughs> I had a great family. Where, what stands between a person on Thanksgiving Day 2008, what stands be, who has no freedom to run a marathon? I, I, I wasn't free to start walking 26 miles. What... What stands between that guy and the guy who on October 18th, 2009, crossed the finish line of the marathon with his son at a time of 2 hours and 59 minutes behind the winner? That's, that's the part I say under my breath. <laughs> but... What's it, what stands between this guy and this guy who's free to show up with a tag on to run? The discipline of a thousand miles. The finish line was only six miles away from where I lived. But it was a thousand miles away from where I was. And the discipline of over 11 months running 1,000 miles, a little bit at a time, starting with 5 miles a week, ending with 50 miles in the week, that discipline created freedom. Discipline creates freedom. You know you're all only about 500 hours away from being a pretty good guitar player. 
people sometimes when I lead worship, they'll say, oh, I wish I could play guitar like that. Well, then do it. If you practice for an hour a day for 18 months, which is about five, you'll play as well as I do. An hour a day. Because discipline creates freedom. All of you are only some, some distance away from being financially free in your life. Every single one of you is some distance away from being free from debt, being financially free. But there's a road of discipline. Uh, Okay, I guess I'm not going to do this. I guess I'm not going to do that right now. I guess I'm going to wait to do that. That you have to walk to get there. But discipline creates freedom. Discipline creates freedom. There's only one thing that stands between you and the fulfillment of your desire to encounter God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the discipline. We're telling you what the steps are. The discipline, the practice of the disciplines. What separates this person who goes, I'm not sure there is a God, from this person who says, man, God is on the move. What's what's the difference between those two people but the practice of drawing near to God and the disciplines? It creates freedom. The practice of the disciplines that we're talking about creates three fundamental freedoms. A freedom from compromising superficiality. It'll set you free from, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? A freedom from a debilitating self-centeredness. And a freedom from slavery to habitual sin. (laughs) The practice of the discipline sets you free from these things. These are the things that keep us from God, that keep us from encountering God, experiencing God, having our longing for God satisfied. And in my remaining time, including today, plus two more messages, I plan to bring you a message on each one of these things, a teaching on each one of these You may right now say, can we start with number three, right? Because that's the one you're most interested in. Could we just, could we start with three? I like that. Well, the problem is there's a critical progression that occurs as a relationship between these things. It looks like this. That it starts by being free from superficiality. By letting the Word of God uh, take you to a place where the deep of God calls to your deep place. As long as we're satisfied and settled for the deep of God calling to the surface and going, I'm good. Sang my songs, gave my tithe, I'm good. Then we're not free. The first thing that has to happen is that 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 barrier has to be broken so that we begin experiencing God on a deeper level. Now, the second thing is, is when we experience God on a deeper level, we become critically aware of ourselves, don't we? 
And it's not that pretty, especially at first, right? And we realize that so much of our sin is caught up in our self-centeredness. That it's because I'm the center of the universe. Well, that's how you're born. You, you come by that naturally. But it has to be dealt with. And so what we do is we say, you know, I know the Word of God says this about, fill in the blank, sexuality. About not having sex outside of marriage. Let's just use that as an example. I know the Word of God teaches that. But, because of my self-centeredness, I'm making myself an exception. Now, you're never going to get to freedom from slavery to habitual sin until you deal with that. And getting that guy moved off of the throne and getting Jesus in the center. And then, praise God, you can be set free from slavery to habitual sin. So there's an important progression that occurs is why these messages are going to come. So freedom from superficiality is just one of the greatest dangers to our spiritual health is really our willingness to be content to swim in the shallow end. <laughs> Psalm 42.7 in your Bibles has these amazing four words. His deep calls to deep. And it's talking about that longing that we have for God, you know. We have that longing. And it says God's calling. But he's not calling to the top. He's calling to the deep. Deep calls to deep. That God is deep, yeah? I mean, yeah, hello. He's God, right? Of course he's deep. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. God is deep, all right? But what about you? You have a deep end. Every one of you. Have you ever been in a Bible study and you're talking to people about God and something comes out of your mouth and somebody goes, whoa, that's deep. And you didn't even mean to say it. <laughs> that's, that's the deep part of you. You have a deep part. You've got a deep part. And God is calling to your deep part. And we get stalled in our conquest over sin when we settle for the top part. Is this making some sense? Okay. The, the disciplines create depth over width. You know, there are like 15 or 20 disciplines, I suppose, depending on how you look at it. I would much rather, I would much rather you get really good at two of them than marginally good at ten of them. Because the disciplines create depth over width. Church programming creates width. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's an inch deep and a mile wide, right? But the disciplines say, come into the deep end. Stop. I'm only good at a couple of these. My best one is stillness. 
It's just something that I've worked on hard for 30 years is to learn how to be still before God and just wait. Now, I come by it naturally because part of stillness is solitude, and I really don't like people. (laughs) And so it's really just natural to go, you know, i got to go. i got a thing with God. (laughs) Except for you guys, of course. (laughs) But you have a natural tendency toward some of these disciplines. Explore that. Go deep. Go quiet. Go deep. Because that's what the disciplines do. They take you deep. It's the difference between standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon going, whoa. It's the difference between that and paying the money to get on one of those poor creatures and ride 6,093 feet down to the bank of the Colorado River and going, wow! That's deep. You know, you can live your life as a Christian and kind of dancing around the whole thing and checking out the boxes and every once in a while you'll go, wow, that's cool. Check that out. Or you can get on the burro you can ride the poor creature down into the depths. How do I get there? The disciplines. That's your burrow. Superficiality at its base is compromise. It's settling for less. The Bible says deep calls to deep, and we're saying, no, I want deep to call to shallow. I'm scared of the deep end. People are always funny when they're scared of the deep end. They can swim. I'm scared of the deep end. It's over my head. And then it's even funnier to me when they say, oh, that's 12 feet deep. If it were 8 feet deep, I'd be okay. (laughs) Are you 9 feet tall? (laughs) God's calling us to the deep end, and superficiality as a way of life is settling for so much less than what God has planned for you. The symptoms of superficiality are three or four. Number one would be a devotion to empty religion. And you just get satisfied with checking off the boxes. Empty religion. Another one would be a preoccupation with emotionalism. Now, I can get very emotional in my contacts with God. But I don't set that as the goal, or do, nor do I set that as the factor that, by which I evaluate whether I just spend time with the Lord. And people can get stuck at emotionalism of feeling the juice and satis- be satisfied with that. And it's, it's shallow end. It's cool. I love it. I love to get cheeky with Jesus. But if that's all there is, I can also stay home and crank up Eric Clapton and get pretty happy too. So if that's all there is, it's not enough. I think another symptom is a general apathy about encountering God. It's like, you know, I don't know. That's good for you. Good for you. Not so much for me. And I think a fourth 
symptom of superficiality is something called church hopping. Church hopping. Church to church to church to church to church. I'm not saying there's never a time to change fellowships. There can be, of course. There can be good reasons. But if you do that, do it well, okay? If you've got somebody, if you're here and you've got somebody over your shoulder who's really mad at you because you left, go take care of that, would you? Go take care of that. And whenever you plan to, you know, go to the church of what's happening now from here, would you just kind of drop us a note or something? Okay? <laughs> church hopping. Boom, 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 boom. This is crippling the American church. I agree with Peter Wagner's statistical assessment that the American church is not growing. It's just moving. There are some churches that are growing like crazy, but the people are largely coming from somewhere that they already were. Bad things happen when we facilitate this. It's crippling the church because as a church hopper, when a person comes to a new church, they enter into a useless phase. They have to. Because they're checking things out. Is this where you want me, God? And the church is checking them out. Like, are you, are you safe? Right? Yeah. So there's this period of uselessness So every time a person changes, they enter back into the period of uselessness. They enter into a time of consumer mentality because when you a person comes to a new church, they go, just just, just keep keep bringing it. Yeah, bringing it. Can I see the dessert cart? And also, when, when people hop churches... This is so insidious and and can be so subtle. It causes churches to compete with one another for those people. That sucks. The good news is here, we're not really good at anything. I would say our children's ministry is good. Our worship ministry is good. Stuff that Rob and I do, you know, we're just getting by, right? You see what it does? It causes churches out of a heart for people who come to compete with one another and go, well, we better have this funnel. We better have this system. And by the way, we're noticing that people aren't staying because X, Y, and Z. So we better throw some money at that. And by the way, that big Nazarene church over there, they've got like smoke and stuff and lights. And maybe we should get some of that stuff. And maybe we should get a real pastor. Hello? It took a long time for somebody to say something nice. And the problem is, is that when churches become so engaged in competing for the found that they cease to evangelize the lost... But the moving to moving to moving to moving is a mark of superficiality. Some of you maybe are newer here and you love it. Hang on. You just haven't been here long enough. We're just like everywhere else in that regard. 
The remedy for all of these symptoms is the same. It's the disciplines. It's doing it. Wherever you are. Because you have a deep end. John Berger, you have a deep end. I've seen it. I've seen you swimming in it. It's cool, isn't it? You have a deep end. How do you get into the deep end? You just got to jump. <laughs> what do I got to do to get ready to do these disciplines? Nothing. You just got to do them. Which ones should I do? Any ones you want. Any ones you want. Just do something. Can you imagine when Brian and I started training the first day for our marathon, if we just sat around that first Saturday morning, it was cold, I remember, and said, well, we really don't know which way to run. (laughs) We just started running. On the first day, we went one mile. I was exhausted. Just jump. Because you're all here for two reasons. One, you want to go to heaven when you die. You want to make sure that's right. Well, guess what? That isn't made right by church. That's made right by Jesus. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ today. The second reason you're here is because you want to encounter God while you're on the planet waiting to go to heaven. That's what the disciplines are for. So don't stop. Don't settle. And do something, okay? Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be your sons and daughters by the blood of Jesus. It's good to be saved. It's good to know that our last heartbeat here is our first one in heaven. It's good. That's good. It's good to know that you've satisfied the requirements of righteousness for us, thing that we were so obviously incapable of doing for ourselves. You did for us, and so we receive your gift of righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We trust in him. Lord, we call out to you this morning as pretty much regular people who want to have an extraordinary relationship with you. We want to experience you. We want to encounter you. We want to know you. We don't want to be religious. We want to be alive, Lord. And so we invite you to come in the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us opportunity to respond to your call. Deep calls to deep. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's have some prayer ministry people. Come on up. Church, let's stand, please. Let's have some prayer ministry people. Come on up. And Hey, Rob, can you hang here for a sec? You got some place you... Oh, yeah, you got a thing. Never mind. You go do your thing. You got to go do your thing. Here's the deal. If uh, you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior today, I just have a heart somebody might be there, then uh, you can come right up to these people and tell them, I'd like to become a Christian today. They'll know what to do 
now and they'll know what to tell you to do next. You can come to these people for anything to pray for. Anything at all. But as we just spend these last five or so minutes together, I just want to ask you to respond to the stirring of God inside of you where it says deep calls to deep. See if you can, see if you can dial into that deep place and respond from it to a deep God.